this person might not look like the perfect fit on paper, or they may bond the interview. Trusting that you see the potential, you recognize it and really giving them that chance. It's just amazing to see what can come from that. Hello, welcome to Heart Inspired, a show dedicated to highlighting individuals in their pursuit of authentic leadership, peeling back the layers to uncover the roadblocks they face, explore some of the actions they take, and what keeps them on track to continue their journey to be the best version of themselves. It is my hope that you will be inspired by their stories and gain some insights to help you in your own journey. I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. In this series, we are going to uncover some important areas that impact our lives, both professionally and personally. At some time or another, we may be impacted by imposter syndrome. So how do we recover? Who can help us? How do we support others who may be impacted? Let's explore. Megan Jones leads the Customer and Partner Experience Organization at Red Hat, an IBM subsidiary and the world's leading provider of enterprise open source software solutions. She joined in 2015 to create an analytics team in the customer experience and engagement organization grew the team from three associates in the U.S. to a global team of 24 data analytics. In 2020, she took over the customer and partner experience team to champion and drive the strategic vision of creating a world-class customer-centric company culture. Hi, Megan. It's so nice to have you here on my very first podcast. I'm excited to hear uh, all about you and your journey, how we talk about imposter syndrome and some of the other topics we're going to touch upon today. But before we begin with the questions, Megan, share with us a little bit about you and and your role today in leadership. Sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me, Michelle. This is exciting. This is my first podcast, so I'm really excited to do it. And it's an important topic that I care a lot about. Um, So I lead a team of customer experience and partner experience program managers and analysts and consultants at Red Hat. We're part of the customer success organization And that's my current role. So I've been doing that for a little over two years now. And before that, I was leading an analytics team within the products and technologies organization. So I joined Red Hat about seven years ago in 2015. So you're you're, um, really enjoying the role and and having a lot of uh, opportunity to lead teams and to create new experiences. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I I got into people management before I came to Red Hat. But uh, Red Hat people management looks very different than some of the other experiences that I've had from both managers and from being a manager. So I will say uh, I have learned a lot about what strong leaders look like and what they should do and how they should treat their teams. So it's been a really incredible experience so far. What are some of the things that you do at Red Hat that are so special that, you know, are supportive to the teams and the work-life culture? First of all, it's a meritocracy. (laughs) Um, And we call it a meritocracy. And and it's funny because I think there are probably a lot of companies out there that talk about being meritocratic, but it really is the proof is in the pudding, right? It's in the actions of the company and the morals and and the culture. And I will say it's really expected of you as a leader at Red Hat to be open and transparent and accepting. In my past, especially with other managers I've had, it's been very hierarchical, top-down approach, whatever I say goes. And Mm -hmm. that's not my style. That's not the style of the leaders at Red Hat. 
And it's just really incredible to see the type of work that can come out of that type of environment. People innovate better. They they challenge the status quo more comfortably and openly. And it's just really incredible to see that play out. That's great to hear. Is there anything else that they do that really kind of motivates the teams or something you do specifically that motivates your team? Um, oh, that's a great question for my team. I'd love to, <laughs> to ask them. <laughs> Maybe we'll get them on <laughs> know the answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'd like to think that just leading by example is mm-hmm. is my secret tool in my toolbox. I think just being authentic, being yourself, being yeah. vulnerable when you can, it's really important just to show that we're all human beings. Also, I just really care a lot about them as people. And so I think that that helps, right? They know that when I challenge them on something that I'm coming from a place of positive intent that I care about them, I want them to grow. And Mm. so that they trust my feedback, right? So that's, I think that's just so important. Those are two words that I um, have used a lot in, in my business so far is trust is so important. And feedback, people sometimes don't take feedback well, sometimes people give feedback and it's not been asked for. And so it's kind of negative, even if it's constructive criticism to help you, if you're not expecting it, it could (laughs) received as, you know, well, who asked you in the first place? So that's really great. So let's get started with some of the questions I have here. So we want to talk about imposter syndrome. And I would like to know from you, Megan, what does that look like for you? And when did you first recognize it for yourself? It's a thing. I'm definitely <laughs> aware thing. of it. It's a thing. Um, I've definitely experienced it. And and honestly, for me, what it feels like is just this sense of self-doubt, just not mm. feeling worthy of something, whether it's job opportunity or a role expansion. Um, and honestly, I didn't know what the term meant until I was a few years into my career. When I did hear about it, I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, I've been feeling this for most of my life. Like it, this is not just a thing related to my career or my job. And like I said, it's just this feeling of like, I'm not smart enough or pretty enough in school, right? Like even as a young child, I remember feeling that way or feeling like I didn't have enough knowledge or work experience to go after different jobs or, you know, later in my career to speak up in large meetings. It's just a thing that, that I've always felt. And I'm happy to say, I don't feel it as often now mm. in my thirties, Definitely not as much as I did in the last two (laughs) decades, but I mean, I still, I still feel it. It still speaks up from time to time, but I think the fact that I know what it is now, I'm definitely able to recognize it, to call it out, Mm -hmm. just being aware of the feeling and like knowing that it's not reality, that it's just self-doubt. It helps it go away. And also just as you get experience in something, you gain more confidence in yourself. Mm And, you know, as like a mom, now that my kids are a bit older, I'm not floundering and and thinking that I'm not doing things right. Although I I still feel that way sometimes, but, you know, like having work experience under my belt and just having that validation that I'm doing a good job in those areas has helped me really keep that little voice at bay. So you touched upon that competence obviously helps in recovering from it, but are there any other tips that you have come up with for yourself or that you have guided your team with? Because I'm sure with having a team as large as you have, you know, you've had some of them come up to you and say, I I can't do this or whatever. What tips can you recommend that you've experienced to help recover from it? Calling it out, Mm -hmm. knowing that it exists and calling it what it is has really helped both for me and for, you know, in conversations with other people and just saying, you know, this is you doubting yourself because you don't have the experience, but you won't know until you try. You just have to jump in, right? Just jump in, get the experience, prove yourself, prove to yourself and others that you are good enough, that you can do it. 
and that yeah. helps you move past it. You know, you mentioned something very interesting. You said when you gain the experience, you you know, the competence, and then it kind of goes away. For me, sometimes I have the experience, but mm. I still will say, oh, there's that imposter syndrome showing up or, because it's just, I might be having a bad day or there's one little piece of it that's just, you know, gnawing at me. So it's not perfect. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Being a perfectionist is hard yes. work. <laughs> I know it's awful. <laughs> it is awful. It is awful. Let's talk about a lifeline. Have you ever experienced or can you recall anyone or more than one who has given you a lifeline during maybe a time that you really needed it or Mm -hmm. you weren't expecting it even? I don't know that I would call it a lifeline per se, as much as just someone taking a risk on me. In my career, I've had that happen a few times. I remember I made the switch into web analytics from being a digital marketer and it was something that I had very minimal exposure or experience (laughs) to. Um, And this person, the hiring manager, he must've seen something in me and he hired me to take on this role. And it was fully web analytics and it had Walmart as the client, right? It was a very high profile role, a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And that's a big name. (laughs) He took a risk on me. Right. And I was scared out of my mind. This was so (laughs) early in my career, but because he took that chance on me and recognized something, some kind of potential that allowed me to move into a domain that has really shaped my entire career. Cause I've been in some form of analytics for most of my life, most of my career. And I've experienced, I've experienced so much joy and growth from it. And so I just I'm really thankful for that. I think of people who are in the analytics like myself. I love data. I love to, I love spreadsheets. I'm a big fan. When somebody gives me an Excel spreadsheet, I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> what can I do with this? Slice and dice. Yes, yes. But also interesting because like you and like me, we've been, le- I've been leaders. I've been a leader before. I really enjoy the people and the interaction with others and having a team do you find that sometimes you do you flip from one side to the other? Because I find that being in the data area is more introverted. So I call myself a extroverted introvert. Oh. I guess you could probably call oh, it the other way around that too. That's oh yeah. <laughs> Somebody said that uh, somewhere. I don't remember where I heard it. I was like, wow, I think that's me. So I've always been um, an outgoing person. I haven't had problems communicating and interacting with people, mm-hmm. but it does drain me sometimes. Yeah. And I think that that's the introvert side of me where I need downtime where I'm not on, you know what I mean? And so I also really like the one-on-one or Mm -hmm. one-on-two or three interaction versus the one-on-many. Like if I walk into a room and there's a hundred people that I have the potential to talk to, I am scared. (laughs) I'm intimidated. Um, Am I going to sound stupid? Yeah, exactly. But when I walk up to some person and I have a one-on-one conversation with them and I'm genuinely interested in what they're saying that I thrive on that, that kind of social interaction. But then, yeah, again, it just the whole um, one-to-many, or if that happens for too long, I definitely feel drained. Yeah, I was talking to somebody recently about when you're doing video recordings and things like that. And that's like the, you know, the latest thing. Everybody needs to do a video to promote, to do this, (laughs) to do that. And you want to talk about imposter syndrome and where I need to stretch. I don't mind being in a room to talk. I've I've spoken in front of crowds. I've been on podcasts and things like that. I've moderated before, but to record myself to then Mm. watch and edit, I'm just (laughs) like... There's just no way, you know, right? And so, yes. And so I think of people who are in that position who love to be in the spotlight, 
like that all the time, or maybe they don't love to, but they just do it all the time. That's mm-hmm. got to be daunting. Some people are just naturals at it, right? Yeah. They see a yeah. large crowd and they just get really excited versus <laughs> nervous. I've never understood that. I, I'm fine. I was a performer when I was younger. Um, I started dancing when I was two, like old enough to walk, basically. I mean, I performed in front of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. Never was nervous because I knew the lines. I knew the dance. I knew the song. I was comfortable and competent. I, and I think some of that has given me more confidence to you know, speak in front of large crowds or large rooms large meetings in my career, but I still get nervous. I definitely still get nervous. I think a lot of people still get nervous. It's the nervous that's exciting or the nervous Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, that's crippling. crippling (laughs) I can't do this and I need to run off the stage. I once had to present to, I was doing a training. This was many moons ago. I had to present to insurance folks. And there was about, I would say 75 to hundred in the room. And there Mm. were some technical issues going on. And I wasn't supposed to be handling the technical side of things to make sure it worked, but I really wanted to just help them. So I wasn't standing there with all these people looking at me, waiting for me to say (laughs) something. I had to come up with something. And I said, well, so anyone heard a good joke lately? They just started laughing. So I thought, okay. Did anybody speak up? (laughs) No, they just laughed at me. I mean, I don't know if they were laughing at me or laughing for me or feeling sorry for me, but it just kind of broke the ice. Either way. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I was able to fix the technical issue. So that gave my, that gained my credibility right there. So no matter what I said, they were going to believe me, even if it was wrong. So that was a good, that was a good recover from that. That's great. (laughs) How about a lifeline that you've given to somebody else? Similar to my lifeline, I think it's in giving somebody a chance. So I can think of one person in particular that I hired onto my team years ago. He on paper had the right experience, but he completely flubbed the interview. I mean, it was like really bad. He was really nervous. I think we had a panel. And so there were five people in the room and that's really intimidating for somebody in a, in a interview setting. And he just sort of bombed the interview. I remember thinking after it, I saw something in him. I saw a spark, a passion. And even though he didn't ace the interview, we had other people who interviewed much better than him. I just had this feeling that I really wanted to take a chance on him. And I think I probably at the time thought back to, you know, the opportunities that I've been given and the risks that have been taken on me. And Mm -hmm. it's been really incredible. Actually, I've enjoyed seeing this person's career grow ever since he Um, We worked together a while back. We haven't been working together in a few years, but he's grown and moved on to bigger and better things. And it's just been really cool to see. He he did not let me down. (laughs) He definitely uh, proved proved that little voice wrong. Part of what I've been doing is some career coaching and we do some interview preps, even though they know it's a mock interview and we're just recording and and we go through it as it's a, a real one. People get really nervous. And then when they hear it back, I say, don't get scared because you mm. you may not like what you're going to see. And it's not that it's terrible. Thank goodness that there's some spark in people that we can see and, and we can throw them a lifeline to help them out. And, you know, it worked out for you. So that's great. And for him. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. Seeing people who wanted to get into people management, for example, who had no people management experience, mm-hmm. but there's just a sense that you can tell that they're going to be a good leader. Right. And yeah. um, I've definitely, I've given that opportunity to a couple people in my career and really seen such amazing things out of it. The imposter, going back to imposter syndrome, right? You don't have to be perfect 
It right. shouldn't, not perfect is not a real thing, by the way. I, keep, I tell my kids that all the time. <laughs> I try perfect is like a bad word in my house because I'm a recovering perfectionist. Um, and so I'm like, don't ingrain it in my children. That's, if there's anything I can do for them. Yeah. Um, but just like knowing this person might not look like the perfect fit on paper, or they right. may bond the interview, trusting that you see the potential, you recognize it and really giving them that chance. It's just amazing to see what can come from that. It's really awesome. Mentorship. Do you have one? I am so passionate about mentorship. I've been a mentor and a mentee for many years. It's something I've really benefited from in my career. And I, all of my direct reports, I make sure they have a mentor. It's just something that I really encourage as much as possible. There's just so much to gain from that experience, both as a mentor and a mentee. And so I have actually multiple informal mentors right now, some who I consider advocates or sponsors, and then others just who I turn to sort of on an ad hoc basis in specific Mm -hmm. situations. And also Red Hat has a formal company-wide mentorship program that I've participated in for the last three or so years. You know, I've been a formal mentor and formal mentee. And then I also have some informal mentees that I meet with uh, regularly who just, you know, people I've worked with in the past who've asked to meet with me. Would you say that they are all for the most part structured, that they know that they are your mentor or mentee? Well, I have a couple of people who I worked with in the past who've just reached out and said, Hey, do you mind if we meet, you know, on a bi-monthly or quarterly basis, just to check in. And it's not necessarily called out as me being their mentor. And that's totally fine. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they just want somebody who can be a sounding board for them, which Mm -hmm. is really what I have in some of my more informal mentors. But with the, like the program that I mentioned, that's a really formal framework that that you have to meet monthly and then you report on how it's going and that kind of thing. And so it's both. Would you say that gender-wise, are you more comfortable with one over the other or it doesn't matter to you? I actually thinking about it and counting on my hand. I, so I have three female mentors, both sort of informal and formal. I have three who are male. <laughs> so it's pretty equal actually. Oh, that's um, two of the male uh, mentors were former bosses who I just have a ton of respect for and wanted to keep in contact with. But in terms of being comfortable, I mean, that's, it's hard to say. The thing is that as a working mom, Mm-hmm. The three female mentors are also working moms. And mm. so there are just some very specific challenges yep. that you experience as a working mom that yep. I wouldn't expect the male mentors to understand. Maybe they do, but it's just not something I'm really comfortable talking about with them, right? It just feels like the women can relate a bit more. What would be really interesting is if you shared something with one of the male that you wouldn't have normally shared, you would share with a female and what their reaction would be. I have done that. Would they feel uncomfortable? (laughs) Would they be like, uh... (laughs) Deer in the headlights, right? (laughs) Yeah, deer in the headlights, you know. (laughs) Yes, yes. I have done that. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something to do with feeling overwhelmed because I was like planning a birthday party at the same time. And like, there was a lot going on at work and typically I'm not saying exclusively, but typically the mom handles the birthday party planning, you know, doctor visits, those kinds of things that moms just sort of assume because, you know, they're good at it. They're, they're just organized and Again, I'm not saying men are not organized. No, but we we tend to to assume those roles. Right. And we just have a little bit more experience with task switching. Yes. Yes. Not multitasking. Task switching. Yes. Very quickly. Yes, I agree. My husband would say the same. He's like, but we were just talking about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm like, I re- I've already moved on to that next five topics, but no, I, I think I remember having a conversation with one of the male mentors and, and feeling uncomfortable about bringing it up. Like he's not going to be able to relate to this, but it was a great conversation. And, you know, I think that probably built some empathy for him. Right. Oh. So he probably saw things in a different way in a different yeah. perspective. And, yeah. you know, maybe that helped him have more empathy towards working moms than he may not have had. I don't know. It's a big assumption to make, but I do think it's important to have those conversations, even if you're uncomfortable with it, because that empathy factor is really, really yeah. key. Absolutely. I want to go back to imposter syndrome. Do you believe that men versus women suffer from it more or the mm. same? And if it's different for each. So obviously I can't speak for men um, because I'm not a man, but (laughs) I do know (laughs) just from my experience, right. And conversations I've had with people in my career in general, I think women do feel it a bit more, not exclusively, right. I'm sure men have doubt in themselves from time to time, Mm -hmm. but it does feel like women are just more prone to it. I think honestly, it's probably from gender bias, right? Like if we think about the way that girls and boys are raised, just the difference in, you know, how we're told we should act by our parents Mm -hmm. and our teachers and just society in general, right? It shapes us as adults. I think our society's expectations of us as a women are, are just completely different than what's expected of men. And anytime you try to break those societal norms as a woman, you just feel awkward and scared because it's, not what's been ingrained in you since childhood. So it's it's hard to break that. No, I agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. So let's talk about allyship and Mm -hmm. what it is to be an ally. Has there ever been a time where you felt that you had to stand up or be an ally for someone, maybe in your team or in the organization or even outside of the organization? Yeah. So, I mean, I see ally as being a couple of different things, but I think in that context, I have stood up for another woman who in a meeting was being talked over. Um, And that can happen, right? I work in technology, which is a very male dominated industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, there typically you're in a meeting and there are more men than there are women. Now I see that changing. I see that shifting in in certain uh, circumstances, but the more technical side of things, there are more men um, in meetings than women. And Mm -hmm. so I can't remember when this was several years ago, but I can picture the moment because it was, it stands out to me, right? There was a woman in the meeting who was trying to get her point across and a man just jumped right in and just started talking directly over her. And I, I got that feeling like that, you know, icky feeling in my gut that was like, don't say something. You're just, just sit there. You'll be fine. But I was just like the other side of me was saying, you can't just sit there. You have to say something. Um, and I did. And I said, actually, so-and-so, I think so-and-so is trying to finish her point. If we could go back to that. And I wasn't the facilitator of that meeting. And so it took a lot for me to jump yeah. in and do that as someone who is typically not confrontational. <laughs> I felt so strongly that I was like, oh, I've had that done to me so many times. Yeah. And so I wanted to call it out. And so I did. So I'm keen to recognize situations like that now. Bravo. That That's great. There's actually an app that you can put in a room and you can time how long a male speaks, how long a female speaks. Hmm. And it's, it's, kind of, it's supposed to be tongue in cheek, really, but it does show that men will speak up more in a room if it's, there's a mixed amount. And then you can also set it so that it will show how many times somebody is interrupted, whether they are male or female. 
Oh, wow. And then it's interesting to show the report. <laughs> I'm like, wouldn't that be great to do in a, in, you know, in one of those big boardroom meetings and, <laughs> or with your oh, team wow. and then, yeah. you know, cause then they can see it for themselves. Cause I don't think they, I don't think people realize it when they're, when they're doing it, you know, and data doesn't lie. <laughs> nope. As you and I know, as data, <laughs> data does not lie. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> this has been really great. Um, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to share if there's anything you learned about yourself from the questions today or within your leadership on any of these subjects. Have you shifted your point of view? I don't know that I've shifted my point of view from the questions today. I think my point of view is is still the same, but... Mm-hmm. I will say just something I've learned over time. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just talking about the introverted versus extroverted. I tend to talk a lot, especially when I'm nervous. I think I talk more, (laughs) which is funny. (laughs) You think it would be the opposite, right? But I've learned early on observing other leaders that often leaders talk a lot. And when they're talking a lot, they're not listening enough. Mm-hmm. And like we were talking about the feedback, right? So they're not hearing the cues. They're missing out on so much valuable information and feedback from their team. So I've had to tell myself, talk less and listen more, <laughs> you know, in yeah. one-on-one situations and group meetings in team all hands. And I think that that has really helped me build empathy and just listen, right? Just be aware of, of what people are saying. Listening is such a it's a skill. It's a tool that I don't think anyone ever really perfects. I think mm. there's a scale of people who are really good at it. And then those who are not so good at it and active a- listening, right? Not exactly. just, not just listening, but really planning the next thing you're going to say, actively listening right, and processing. Yeah. To listen so that you can comprehend and to mm-hmm. just take it in. That's something that I think is a practice. You have to practice it. Some of the things that I've learned to do because I I was that leader and I was one who I, I will say one of my pitfalls is patience. In the last couple of years, that has been something that I've I've really I won't say mastered, but I have definitely improved on having patience. Mm-hmm. And so with listening, I have found that I have to practice or that I continue to practice is just staying silent and just trying to really wipe out the the noise that's in my head. And sometimes I have to recap what the person's saying so that I can understand and say, help me understand this, or this is what I got from what we were just talking about. Yeah. That's really powerful, right? To be sure that you have processed their information that they've shared with you appropriately, interpreted it correctly, right? Comprehended it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really powerful. And I think as leaders also, um, I was listening to a podcast by Brene Brown. And she is one who she's, first of all, she's amazing, but she also talks about how can I help? How can I help? Always wanting to fix. And I think Mm -hmm. that as you being a a mother and I'm a parent as well, that we always want to jump in and help and fix. And there are a lot of people like that. So sometimes when someone's telling or sharing something with us, they just want to be heard. They don't want you to fix it. Yes. Oh my gosh, Michelle. It's so funny you say that because I went through a coaching engagement in the last year and a tool that this coach shared with me that I will always now use is ask the question, do you want me to hear you, help you or solve it? And that is just so powerful. Just that simple question. I've used it with my husband. I've Mm -hmm. used it with my kids. I've used it with my team. It's just so incredible 
how powerful that one simple question can be. It's really amazing because sometimes even today, my daughter will call me and she's like, you know, all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I immediately want to go into, well, this was pre pre COVID me. I would say I have, you know, in my mind, I have no time. What do you need me to fix? Get it done. (laughs) Move on. Right. Because there's just not enough hours in the day. And now it's okay. So what can I help you with? And that has just been, it changes the dynamic because it's like, well, I don't need help. I just want to vent. Okay, great. Well, have a nice great. day and we'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But had you not asked that question, yeah, you would have gone straight into yeah. problem solving yeah. mode. Yeah. And I and I still do that. There's a there's something coming up in the family. We're we're expecting the first grandchild and we're very excited. Oh, congratulations. And, um, thank you. Thank you. And so she had a, a slight dilemma and she came to me and I was I immediately went into, you know, how can I fix it mode? I was also in rush hour traffic trying to get gas and turn the car around. So there was a lot going on. A lot going on. Yeah. So (laughs) I was back in the, listen, I got things to do. How could I help? Let's move on. (laughs) But then it was like, well, I'll figure it out. Okay, great. Have a nice evening. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of freeing not to have to help all the time. Oh my goodness. It is. I am, yeah, a a problem solver at heart. And so that shift of not necessarily always jumping to problem solve, but of trying to help coach and guide and be there as a support system and not necessarily to take all their issues away. That's been a, you know, that major shift for me. That's great. That is awesome. Well, Megan, this has been such a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation today. I Um, I did too. I think that the work that you and Red Hat are doing are amazing for the the work-life balance and the culture at the company. And so what's next for you? Any more uh, projects going on that you will be taking on at Red Hat? Is your, if you have your eye on the prize, you don't have to share all the confidentiality, but you have your (laughs) eye on the prize for something bigger and better for you there? Oh, we are going through a massive shift at Red Hat to be completely customer centric. And so my team is really helping drive that mindset shift of leveraging customer feedback and partner feedback to drive organizational changes that improve their experience. And Mm. at the end of the day, you know, hopefully we keep them around longer. And so, yeah, we have a lot of work ahead of us. I think that's my eye is on that prize right now. And it's been really, really rewarding so far, really challenging, but I love a good challenge. So it's, it's been great. That's great. Well, Thank you again, Megan. I really appreciate your time today coming on and sharing all your insight. Um, It's been wonderful. And I wish you all the best with your projects and with your family. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle. Congratulations again on your upcoming grandchild. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Next week, we will be doing our final episode of the series. You don't want to miss it. I will bring back all of our guests and it should be a great discussion. If you enjoy our show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you for listening to Heart Inspired. Until next time, I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. And don't forget to lean in, be heard and be inspired. This podcast was created by Heart Metrics Consulting, editing and co-produced by David Castle Productions and co-distributed by Business Travel 360. For more information about Heartmetrics Consulting, visit us at heartmetrics.com.